Father, thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. We truly need you to be at work within our life. I pray that you would protect what you're doing in us, that we would focus in on you even when we leave, that your Holy Spirit would remind us throughout the week to tune in, speak clearly, even in the small voice, Father. Give us ears to hear today, eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, minds that can comprehend, feet that want to run with obedience. Give us your wisdom today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys good? How many of you guys felt like you just felt peaceful or um, that the presence of God was here this morning? Thank you, he is here. I believe he's here every morning. I believe he's with us when we go home, when we're in our cars. Usually we just want to think about something different. So just a couple announcements real quick. And can you turn me down just a little bit? I don't like hearing myself that much. Um, we have, thank you, we have a um, praise and prayer event coming up downtown Mechanicsburg. Com- <laughs> downtown Mechanicsburg. I don't even know how I got the C coming out of there. <laughs> but oh well. Downtown Mechanicsburg, um, from 5 to 7.30 p.m. this coming Saturday. So, <laughs> we'll, we'll have some light refreshments, whether it be water, coffee, um, I don't know, so, some kind of something. That's not why we're going there. Uh, we're going there to praise God, to worship, and to pray for what's happening within our nation to stand up as a united church and as a united community or communities to ask God to invade our communities, our hearts, and this nation. Amen? Amen. Anything that Rob and Nicole would like to add to that? Yep. Yep. So we're gonna be um, there from five to 7.30. There, we'll need some tables down there, maybe a little tent thing. So there will be a little bit of setup if you guys would like to volunteer for that. But we're less worried about that and more worried about your participation. Come out and be passionate about Jesus. If you wanna wear your mask, you can. Um, Since it's outdoor, I will not be. So um, praise God, amen? How many of you guys are interested in this event? Cool. Saturday. Um, Another quick reminder, today's sermon is on the Bible app, so if you have the Bible app, you can go to events, type in Mechanicsburg, Ohio, Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship will pop up, and the sermon scriptures will be there. Finally, as I've been praying the past several weeks, I felt like um, God wanted our church to champion, not the whole weight on us, but our church to champion 40 days of prayer before the election. So um, when I was praying through it, I've created 100 slots a day for people to commit to a half an hour of prayer. 
So, sorry, that's wrong. Not 100 slots a day. 800 slots a day. I take that back. So, clearly, this church isn't even 800 people. So, I really believe that God wants our community to help champion getting people to commit to prayer one day at least throughout those 40 days. And here's, here's the thing. Everyone in this church who's a believer should be praying already. So really, all, all this is is you formalizing that you're gonna be praying. So there's specific um, times. So for the, the younger generation back here, Stephen and Mark, who play video games at like three in the morning, well, we're gonna, I can't even tell if you're smiling, but <laughs> for those, <laughs> For the younger generation who play video games at three in the morning, what we're gonna ask is that you're gonna give up a half an hour of that time and you're gonna sign up and pray for it. I have a big sign up document that I'll be releasing in a couple weeks where typically or easily what you have to do is just get on there, click the link, fill out your information. But then the biggest thing is this, is contact your friends and family members from other states, contact um, other, your neighbors, other people within this community or people that you know. It's not about Mechanics for Christian Fellowship. It, it's about praying for our nation, praying for the election and that God is going to have his way. So um, more information will be coming out about that. But I believe, I believe we can get 800 people a day to sign up for prayer. What do you guys think? You have little faith. <laughs> so um, I think we can do it. And that's it. So James chapter three is where we are today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're gonna start in verse 13. And actually, verse 13 is the only place in James we're gonna be today, except one other time, but a different chapter. James chapter three, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. So if I were to ask in this room, I mean, subconsciously, there's people in here who believe that they're wiser than this person or that person. Person, I believe like this section right here, they probably assume that they're the wisest in the room and then we already assume that that section back there, who's playing video games at three in the morning. I can't tell if you're smiling yet. You're like, I don't even play video games. But there's this assumption that you guys are not wise or that your wisdom can't, can't be um, as, as wise as this side. So what is wisdom, right? Most of the day today, that's what I wanna answer answer that question, what is wisdom? And I'm going to show you um, ungodly responses or understanding of wisdom that we see in the Bible. There's a lot of godly people in the Bible and a lot of patriarchs of the Bible that showed many times um, the lack of wisdom. So um, I want to show you that we too need wisdom. And even that statement, that posture before God is important. If I wake up tomorrow, I don't wake up thinking that I have every answer to solve the world's problem. Every conversation, everything that I get involved in requires God's wisdom. 
Because if you don't have God's wisdom, whose wisdom do you have? The world's wisdom. And the world's wisdom does not lead to um, godly results. Proverbs 4, 7. This is in the New King James Version. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. So wisdom is the principal thing. What's the principal thing? Wisdom. What's principal? Key. Wisdom is the key thing that we need within our life. Now don't take this out of context, right? This isn't saying you need wisdom before you need Jesus, right? You need Jesus and Christ alone. There's a lot of people who don't have wisdom who are going to heaven. But wisdom is paramount. Yet one of the things that's really unique with humans is we, we confuse wisdom with knowledge. A lot. Yet they're extremely different. We have a whole bunch of knowledge. So we can fly planes. The Wright brothers created a plane. And now look at our technology. Hitting mock speed. We have knowledge. We can do that. We can build bridges. I remember um, Macy and I went to New York and we went over a piece of the Manhattan River where the bridge was a mile and a half long. So we have knowledge to build bridges. Internet speeds. For all you conspiracy theorists, 5G. Somebody, come on somebody. 5G internet speeds. The technology and the knowledge to create computers and the medical advances that we have. Knowledge. But knowledge is not wisdom and it shouldn't be confused. Just because you can build a bridge, it doesn't mean that you're wise. It means that you're knowledgeable. But scripture shows us many examples of our foolishness when it comes to wisdom. And because we're gonna see people in the Bible who have foolishness, I have to understand too myself that I have foolishness, that I lack wisdom, that no matter what I've achieved, there's still more wisdom to receive from Jesus Christ. The moment we plateau and quit asking God for wisdom, it says a lot about our heart. We're prideful. We think we have all the answers. Everything, every sermon, every time we gather, everything we spend our money on, I think we should ask for God's wisdom. I remember um, a couple years ago, several years ago, maybe five, six years ago, my, my computer was getting old. So one of my friends calls it long in the tooth. And um, it was getting really slow and started to enable me or not to be able to do the things that I wanted to do. So uh, I talked to Macy and I said, what do you think about we buy a computer? And she said, we have the money, let's do it. So I said, let's wait one night and let's pray about it. Let's ask God for his wisdom. The next day, got a phone call. There was a computer that I could have. The exact computer that I wanted. So imagine if I would have spent all that money. It was a Mac, so it was 1,500 bucks. 
Imagine if I would have spent 1,500 bucks, but asking God for his wisdom allowed me to not have to spend that money. Amen? Some of the things that we even purchase. If you want to take a note today, one of these points would be this. Without Christ, we are very foolish when it comes to wisdom. Genesis 11. You guys remember the story of the Tower of Babel? So in their knowledge, what they wanted to end up doing is build a tower to the heavens. We're gonna show how knowledgeable we are. We're gonna become our own gods. We can prove that, that we are awesome. They wanted to become their own gods, right? But God ended up dividing them and making them speak different languages. If they were operating out of heavenly wisdom, godly wisdom in surrender to God, they never would have even started the project. But because they were working out of the world's wisdom, God divided them, gave them different languages, and spread them out. Foolishness, isn't it? Genesis 12, 10 through 17. Story of Abram. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And he was about to enter Egypt, and he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. And then he says this, unbelievable, lacks wisdom. Verse 13, say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw uh, Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys, male and female ser servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What you have done to me? What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is uh, my sister? So I took her to be my wife. Why did you say, uh, yeah, why did you say she is my, blah, blah, blah. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Was that godly wisdom? Rob, are you going to offer your wife up like that? Do you, do you see in scripture where God would want you to offer your wife up like that? Was Abram working out of godly wisdom here? No. Wisdom never lies. Wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. Wisdom is trusting God. You'd have to trust that if God was sending you because of a famine that he would protect you both 
or he'd take you both to heaven. Abram took matters into his own hands and I believe it is a part of a continued line of family mistakes or generational curses that is passed down. Now, I wanna take you down a simple rabbit trail that I've always or often thought about Abram or Abraham in his family line. I do, uh, with this caveat, there's a ton of assumption here. Um, you can't prove it or disprove it within scripture, I don't believe. Just a ton of assumption. I wanna share with you where my, where my thoughts went. Um, so Abram, as the spiritual head of the family, offered his wife to be the wife of someone else. So, one man, one woman, become husband, wife, now you're offering your wife to someone else. It doesn't make sense, it, it just lacks wisdom. I don't believe that Pharaoh was interested in having a wife because of his emotional needs. Can I get a witness? I don't think that's the kind of honoring man that he was. A woman that I've never met before, she's just gonna come in and meet all my emotional needs and I heard that she can cook a good cattle and parm. That's not what he wanted. I have wondered if this is the start of a crazy path of generation, no curses or pattern because we see Abram's family, Abraham's family, is involved in some pretty crazy sexual things as we read scripture. So Abraham and Hagar, well first, Abraham or Abram and Sarai, right? And they come together and he's like, you can have her just for our safety. And then you get um, Abraham and Hagar. Sarah now, her new name, told her husband to sleep with another woman because she was barren at the moment. See, many of us give up in the moment, right? At the moment. We don't see what God sees. So Sarah's like, hey, you know what? Just sleep with Hagar. Have a baby. That's how we're going to... That's how God's promise is going to be fulfilled. So my thought goes to, I, I've wondered if Sarah was more willing to do that because maybe something happened with her and Pharaoh. So she felt like that was leveling the playing field. Make sense? You guys catch what I'm blowing? So she was trying to level the playing field like this happened between Pharaoh and I. Again, I'm not preaching this, I'm just thoughts. Don't go home saying this is what Joey said. These are thoughts that I have. So she was trying to level the playing field. But it happened because Abram lacked wisdom in the first place. What if he never would have offered his wife what if something may have or may not have happened within the palace and now she's not carrying that guilt and now trying to level the playing field? Again, take that out. Her wisdom was, she lacked godly wisdom there as well because God, God's word was, I will bless you, not to bring it into your own hands. So either way, Abraham and Hagar um, and then Lot, Abraham and Sarah's family right? He um, offered his daughters to be used however the whole city wanted. Again, a descendant of Abraham and Sarah. I believe it was what Sarah's cousin or nephew. Um, who does that? Offer your kids to the whole city. 
You can't have these angels, but you can have my two virgin daughters. So then it continues, and then Lot's daughters get him drunk, and then they sleep with him. So as I thought about that, like what a family tree of lack of wisdom when it came to one area in their life. There's a pattern there. We need God's wisdom in every situation, not just practical knowledge of what we think is best. Now, did God create you very specifically, uniquely, for a very specific reason to bring honor and glory to him? Yes. But his wisdom needs to be within us. So I've wondered about those things. What I'm saying is Abraham and his family lacked a lot of wisdom in certain areas. And we also lack wisdom in many areas of our life. Amen? And then you have Saul with David. Practical wisdom. 1 Samuel 17, 32 through 40. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. So what does he immediately say? His earthly wisdom, his earthly knowledge says, you are not able to do this. Now, if he would have went before God, it would have been a different answer. He continues, you are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. So first, his knowledge said, you can't go fight Goliath. Then his lack of wisdom continues, and guess what he decides to do? He decides to say, put armor on. Put armor on him. Verse 38, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, he put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over, yeah, over the tunic and tried walking around. Because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones, from the stream, put them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. That's really practical, right? Hey, look, you're going to battle, and what do people need when they go to battle? They need their armor. So we don't have armor that fits you, so practically speaking, out of my earthly knowledge, I'm gonna put my armor on you that doesn't fit. How many decisions do we make each day that are out of our own practical thoughts rather than God's wisdom? I wonder if in this situation, Saul and David would have took a moment before the Lord and said, what's my battle plan? What are you asking of me? It's practical, right? If I'm going to go play football um, for Ohio State tomorrow, you guys are gonna say, one, you're gonna laugh at me. Two, you're gonna put pads on me, right? It's just practical, it's wisdom, it, it, it's, it's what's required. 
It was just practical advice, but it was missing the mark of what God had planned. We must consult God. God had a different plan. God will be faithful to David again. Point number two would be this. There is limited power in practical ideas. Every area of our life needs wisdom from heaven. Your troubles right now don't need practical wisdom. They don't need practical knowledge. They need godly wisdom. I know this will ruffle some feathers, but anything that we do absent of God's blessing is prideful. And that hurts. So when I, look, we're always fighting for freedoms, and I know there's, there's arguments in here like, God just lets you live, and God lets you live freely. Okay, but what's wrong with just saying, God, are you blessing me to live this day? Are you blessing me to drink this cup of coffee? True story, a good friend of mine now lives in Texas. I asked God once when I was um, going to a conference, um, you guys can push God this way too. And not like push him, but like push to understand his voice in your life. So I asked him, I said, what should I wear today? Just trying to hear if I can hear God's still small voice. What should I wear? So I put on a Detroit Lions hat. Um, I put on a Detroit Lions jacket, some black pants, and some white shoes. And um, I looked like a punk. People called me, like said, I look like Rob Deerdeck. Any of you guys know who he is? They said, that's what you look like. And I wore it. How are people gonna, how are people gonna like me this way, like trust me this way, think that I love Jesus this way, right? So I wore it, and the hat was probably like too small, so my he- or my head was too big for the hat. How about that? Hat wasn't too small, my head was just too big. So I'm walking around this conference and a guy comes up to me and he says, hey, are you from Detroit? Nope. Said it was my mom and her family that cursed me to like this team because they grew up there. So I've liked them ever since. Pray for them. (laughs) He's like, well obviously I need to because no one likes to wear this stuff out in public. I'm gonna pray for you as well. So, We start that conversation, able to pray with one another that night, and then created a friendship all because of the Detroit Lions, um, Detroit Lions um, apparel that we were wearing. The crazy story about that is then, um, several months later, there was someone in the church that needed to be delivered from demons. So guess who was right beside beside me? That couple. They've had um, experience doing that a hundred times. Me, that didn't happen much around here or I was never invited to those meetings, thank God. (laughs) Heard stories of them, but I was never invited to the meeting. We need to ask God for wisdom. And that day, me practically asking God, what do you want me to wear today, led to a friendship and then led to God being glorified. Now look, we can get carried away with it, we can go crazy with it. But it's, it's, it's a heart posture before God that says, God, I'm here to follow you, I'm here to serve you, and I want what you have for me today. 
So there's limited idea, there's limited power in practical ideas. Anything absent of God's blessing is prideful. This happens when we are operating in our knowledge and not his blessing. I've heard it thousands of times, I'm just offering my best knowledge. But we don't have time for our best knowledge anymore. We only have time for God's wisdom. And the only way we get God's wisdom is to what? Ask for it. We learned that in James chapter one, two years ago. That's what it felt like, didn't it? James chapter one, verse five. If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. So that's what you do, you wake up. God, please give me your wisdom in the situation of my life today. God, give me wisdom of how you want me to um, take steps this day. Give me wisdom while I pray for people. Give me wisdom of how I need to pray for the church. If many of you guys, or if any of you guys have ever prayed with me, um, most of the time what I ask God is this, God, help us know how to pray. You know what I'm doing? Is I'm asking God for his wisdom for how do we pray for this person? We'll also pray for the practical things that that person's requesting. God, give us wisdom. Your problems will not be fixed until you slow down, be quiet, and ask God for wisdom. One more scripture about how we lack wisdom. Acts chapter 27, you guys should be familiar with this. Verse 10, this is Paul. Man, I can see that our voyage is going to be uh, disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. I believe, we even talked about this back in Acts, that Paul was given a word from God. He was given wisdom from God about the storm that is to come and everything that they're gonna face. So Paul offered godly wisdom. Yet people trusted People trusted what they've done thousands of times, hundreds of times, over and over again, their interpretation of the weather, their interpretation of how the boat was built more than they trusted a word from God. How often do we fall into that? We trust what we've done a thousand times more than we trust the word of God. See, in this situation, it doesn't matter what the pilot thought, it doesn't matter what the centurion thought what it mattered was is what God thought. And what God was showing them is that there's a storm coming, but their wisdom, their worldly wisdom, um, lacked the ability to trust God. Point being, with many more examples, the Bible reveals to us that our wisdom, which is earthly, leads us astray leads us to places we don't wanna be, we shouldn't be. Worldly wisdom doesn't just show up in our actions though. Worldly wisdom also shows up in our beliefs. The easiest way that we show our foolishness 
is not believing in the message of the cross. That's foolishness, that we don't believe in the message of the cross, that we won't trust God, that we won't release our sins to him, that we won't repent. Foolishness. We're foolish, and we need a savior. Point number three is the wisdom of the world rejects the cross. So why would we follow the wisdom of the world? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. I'd encourage you to read um, through 24, but we're not gonna get there today. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. If we can't accept Christ and if we can't follow Christ, it shows that we lack wisdom. Our worldly friends think that we are nuts. They have a hard time rationalizing how everyone on earth will be judged through the lens of what happened 2,000 years ago. You realize that? You guys ever had that conversation with someone? You mean you're basing your life on one event that happened 2,000 years ago? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Well, you're not. No, I'm not. Foolishness. The world lacks wisdom. <laughs> How thankful am I for that event that happened 2,000 years ago? So thankful that we must be willing to give up our own life for that. that our belief in the blood from the cross of Jesus Christ determines our eternal destiny. That's the event that I believe in, that the world makes fun of. And that event is actually being attacked even more and more right now. And the world believes that we are foolish, yet worldly wisdom is sending people to hell, period. Heaven and hell are real places. But do you notice in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, that there are only two groups. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Two groups, not multiple, only two. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. So how many types of wisdom are there? There's godly wisdom and there's earthly wisdom. There's wisdom that leads you to perishing. There's wisdom that leads you to the cross. Anytime I look to the news, anytime I look to my favorite author, though they might be speaking about God, I'm looking to the world. Every time I look to my friends who are not biblical, I'm looking to the world. Who's making the decision and steering your mind during this time. There's those who are perishing and there's those who are covered by the blood of Jesus. We must pursue the blood of Jesus Christ. The power of God. And what's the difference between those two groups, the perishing and the, um, those saved by the blood of God? Their perspective of the cross. That's the difference. One group out of their godly wisdom 
says, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and raising from the grave three days later. The other group, out of their lack of wisdom, says it's foolishness. And our perspective of the cross should change the way that we fear God. Fear goes right hand in hand with wisdom, doesn't it? For example, it's been said that the divorce rate is not different in the church than outside of the church. Isn't that sad? That believers and unbelievers have the same divorce rate. Where's the godly wisdom in that? When you commit, you commit to someone, to Christ, till death do us part. The consumption of porn is running wild within the church. The justification of sin is okay. The lack of commitment to the church is growing. And the basic knowledge of Jesus is drifting because we're not looking to the cross for wisdom, we're looking to the world. And I ask, why is that happening? Why? Because we lack wisdom, especially the beginning of all wisdom is what we lack, the fear of the Lord. This generation and generations in the past and hopefully not generations to come, they lack the fear of the Lord. And we have all these conversations about the fear of the Lord and the fear of the Lord, and then people just wanna say, but perfect love casts out fear. Okay? Have fear of the Lord. Revere him. Submit to him. Surrender to him. Proverbs, or I guess point four, worldly wisdom doesn't fear God. Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The, be the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So what that means is um, when I speed, I understand that God's going to hold me accountable to that one day. You don't have to like it. You don't have to. He says, follow the law of the land, and the law is 55 or 70. When I, when I cuss, right, when I covet, when I lust, we justify those actions more and more in this generation because we don't fear God anymore. Because we have cute scriptures that we quote to make ourselves feel good about perfect love casting out fear. So we say, I don't have to be afraid of God anymore because perfect love casts out fear. Well, the fear of the Lord keeps me in right position in humility before him to say, I love you, I trust you, I'm gonna be accountable to you. And out of that relationship and honor of him, you realize, yeah, you know what? I don't have to fear him, but I have to fear him. God is above you. God is far greater than you. As far as the east is from the west times a trillion. 
We must revere God again in this generation. Psalms 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Psalms 25, 14. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. If we want to operate in wisdom, we must fear him. Not in just the big decisions, right? I'm not gonna steal. Okay, well what about the private decisions that no one gets to know because they're in your mind? Do you fear God in your mind or just the actions that'll send you to jail? Because there's some thoughts in your mind that will never send you to jail, but God knows them. Will you fear God? Where is the fear, the surrender before God who split the sea? Y'all can't do that. No human can do that. Unless you build a dam, take seven months to do it, and then you're still gonna have a crack in it. You're still gonna have problems with it. And that, that's not gonna be quick enough to escape the Egyptians, is it? Where is the fear and the surrender before the God who flooded the earth? Who changed our languages? Who didn't let Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be burnt up in a fire? Where is the fear and the surrender before God who created the heavens and the earth? Where is the fear for the God that took out all the firstborn in Egypt? Look, I'm not a hell, hell fire and brimstone preacher, but it is important that we understand that the beginning of wisdom is to rightfully place God where he deserves. And that's us under him, surrendering to him and trusting him. That's what I believe the fear is talking about, is rightly positioning yourself under him in humility. Where is the fear for, for God who holds the keys to eternity? Your destiny, your destiny, eternity, this generation has to have fear of Jesus Christ. Without Christ, we are very foolish when it comes to wisdom. This is limited, this has limited power in practical ideas. Every area of your life needs wisdom from heaven. The wisdom of the world rejects the wisdom of heaven, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. Final point, and we're wrapping up. Worldly wisdom doesn't just show up in our actions, but our beliefs. Same point, isn't it? We fall miserably short when it comes to wisdom. Yet God will give it to us when we ask. James 1.5. If you need wisdom today, ask God. So the problem is, if we don't have wisdom... How do we get it? Well, five things 
write these down. The problem is we don't get it because we don't give God time. We're not patient enough for the answer. We ask God for wisdom in a situation. God, let me know if you want me to do this. And then we don't get the answer as quick as we wanted, like Abraham and Sarah, right? So then you bring in your own wisdom to try to make it happen. Wisdom from heaven is just patient with him. So how can we receive wisdom this week? Read your Bible. Plain and simple, read your Bible. There's wisdom in it. Number two, ask for wisdom as you read your Bible. Number three, pray. Talk to God. Ask him for that wisdom. Number four, repent of your sins and be covered by the blood of Jesus. You realize to get um, heavenly wisdom, godly wisdom, you need to be a child of Christ. You need to be surrendered under him. And then number five, be patient in God's timing. Amen? We need God's wisdom. Next week, we're gonna continue on in verse 14. See how far we can get. Let's pray. Father, what a unique time to be alive. And none of us are prepared for it. So I ask for wisdom from you, from heaven, in our families, in our workplaces, at church. Give us wisdom of where we need to put our foot in the ground and say no. I pray that you give our nation wisdom, that we would fear you once again. Remind us to ask you for wisdom. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your patience. In Jesus' name. Amen.